Open Source is an incredibly social art. Open Source is innovation. Like Open Source is enabling. Open Source is community. And open Source is weird. Open Source is incredibly important. Open Source is hard. Open Source is engaging. Open Source is collaboration. Open source is like running the show. Open source is ubiquitous. Open Source is, well, my life. <laughs> and open Source is not free. Hello, my name is Ildiko. And I'm Phil. And this is the My Open Source Experience podcast, where Phil and I will talk to open source veterans, newbies, their managers, and just really anybody who is either already involved in the open source ecosystem or would like to. This podcast will be all about the individuals, their voices, and their experiences that they've been through ever since they started to think about open source or getting involved in open source. Yes, we'll show the various different types of open source communities that are out there, some pluses and minuses, and how to navigate them. Before we dive in, let me give you some important reminders. People on the podcast participate as individuals. They do not represent any company or organization. All the thoughts and opinions are theirs. People share their stories and experiences, the way how they went through them and how they remember them and reflect how those experiences affected their lives, influenced their decisions and just changed maybe their careers or lives back then or ever since. Welcome to the My Open Source Experience podcast. In this episode, Phil and I are talking to Kristin Nicola. We are covering topics such as getting involved in a large open source community as your first open source experience, and then later on becoming a core reviewer, a project team lead, and then part of the technical committee of that community. Are these positions giving you power or rather responsibilities? Or in other words, we are discussing servant leadership. Enjoy the show. To kick off this conversation, um, I will ask Christy to please introduce yourself uh, a little bit. Tell us about your background. Uh, you're most probably in tech. Uh, what made you choose this field, and what do you do? What are you doing today? Thank you. Nice to be here. Uh, so I was born and raised in Albania. In 2014, I moved to the U.S. for grad school to study computer science. And that's what sort of led me to tech. I'm still in the U.S. now. Uh, currently, I'm based in Washington, D.C. I'm a senior software engineer at the MOC Alliance, which is a collaboration between the major universities in the Boston area and medical research centers and industry and government. And the goal of this collaboration is to create an open production cloud to provide low-cost computing resources for researchers and enable collaboration between these researchers and the upstream open source communities, uh, in particular to enable further innovation. So I was drawn into computer science and tech from an early age. Uh, originally, I didn't want to study computer science. Uh, I really wanted to do architecture, but I was terrible at drawing. And my parents pulled me aside when I was about 16 years old. And they said, hey, we noticed you are playing around with this thing called Linux. We noticed you are opening computers. Uh, 
physically and putting more RAM and changing hard drives and doing things like that. And um, you suck at drawing. So how about studying? In the most loving of ways, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. I think I would actually enjoy that. So I did a bachelor in, in computer science, and then I moved to the U.S. to do grad school in computer science. I didn't really know that I wanted to do open source. That sort of happened along the way. Um, Since I was passionate about architecture and creative things, I wanted to do video game development. So I took quite a few computer graphics classes. And for the first time, BU, which is where I did grad school, was offering um, a cloud computing course. So this was being taught by... Uh, Professor Oran Krieger, Peter Desnoyers, and Ata Turk. And the, the, the class was entirely project-based. And it was super interesting to see all of the innovation that was happening around cloud computing at the time. This was 2015, so probably at the at, at high levels of hype with regards to that. And OpenStack was just starting to, to, to get a lot of... Um, attention and investment. So uh, starting to work with these open source tools that were super interesting and a lot of investment and hype, and they were in the news all the time. So it was really exciting. And that sort of led me to to like um, collaborate more closely with those professors. And then out of out of that class, I, I got hired to to work on OpenStack and, and like work on developing this uh, cloud computing platform and that uh, BU was heavily involved in um, offering at the time. And BU is Boston University, right? Yes, Boston University. It is so funny how you're talking about your your background. Uh, we've been know each other with Christy for a little while, but I did not know any of this. And the funny part is that I also wanted to be an architect and I did I also remember being hired by uh, uh, some of the faculty members at my university to their spin-off company, although I was working on EU projects, European Union research projects, um, as opposed to open source at that time. Um, so in terms of in terms of your journey, you technically got introduced to open source while you were still doing your studies at university, right? That's correct, yes. Um... The project, which, uh, so as I said, the class was um, project-based. So in that class, I was part of a project that was um, enhancing uh, an open source uh, radiology software that Boston Children's Hospital used. So making it run instead of uh, like... uh, uh, using batch processing for its scripts and and processing its data instead using OpenStack. So I was integrating with the OpenStack API and uh, spinning up new virtual machines. And uh, that's really the, the the first thing that I worked that was open source was making pull requests to this uh, software that Boston Children's Hospital was working on. And that just felt so cool, you know? Do you think that that it was more the technology side of, you know, OpenStack and cloud and the innovation in that area that, that just 
drew you towards it or do you think that the the open source nature and just being able to participate in in that project regardless of who you work for where you are that was also part of you ending up on on the career journey that that you're on currently i think it's both but i think the open source aspect is uh probably the major part because like I didn't have to be a student of that class to contribute to that software because it was publicly available on, on GitHub. And it just felt like it was knowledge and information and opportunities that were easily accessible and available for everyone in the world, wherever they are or they are from. And this resonated with me being from Albania, which is a post-communist country. So... Um, growing up, I didn't exactly have a credit card to swipe to buy software or to buy books or to purchase opportunities for knowledge. And uh, it was either the pirate life or open source for that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And just seeing all of the things that were easily available and being disseminated for no uh, for nothing, just for everyone there to access. And those opportunities, just, it's amazing. Being a student and being uh, new to the the vastness of the OpenStack project in the 2015 timeframe, what was that like? Did you find it intimidating or did you find that the, 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 the crowd was very welcoming? Did you get thrashed on your first attempt to do a PR? Talk a little bit about those early experiences and, and how it felt, both good and bad. So OpenStack, the software, was super intimidating. Um, OpenStack, the community, not at all. Uh, I really, really enjoyed the community vibe of it, and I found it so welcoming and really wanted me to still be there to this day. <laughs> but on the software side, um, like... Uh, after the class, I was uh, I started an internship at Boston University to deploy OpenStack uh, in collaboration with two other interns. We were all students, so the three of us against the behemoth <laughs> that is OpenStack. Um, it took uh-huh. about three minutes for the dashboard to load, so the main page. Um, I don't think we did such a good job on our first try, but uh, it did work. <laughs> And, uh, but on the other hand, the community was super welcoming. So uh, the mailing list, IRC, people were there. It was really easy to reach them, to ask questions, get responses. Uh, I was uh, not thrashed on my first PR. Um, in fact, uh, probably the reviewer um, who was Steve Martinelli, I think Ildiko might remember him. Mm. Uh, he just worked so tirelessly and made such a welcoming environment for me in OpenStack, uh, in OpenStack's identity service, which is called Keystone. So within a couple of days, I think I got that, um, that change merged and my first contribution to, to OpenStack. This was around early 2016, I think. That sounds like a great journey. And I can reassure you when I was working for Ericsson in 20. I think it was 2013 by the time I started on that project when 
we were trying to deploy this OpenStack thing and uh, well, it took us probably a longer time to get any dashboard working anywhere if it even existed at that point. I remember a lot of common line interface commands being typed in and then head scratches of why is this thing still not working? <laughs> Um, but when it comes to the community experience, um, do you think that that very first experience contributed to you still being with the project? Because if I know correctly, you still are working on OpenStack. Um, it did have a major impact. And uh, um, like I've always been drawn to like online communities uh, since I was like a kid in forums and online video games and stuff like that. And I'm always attracted to that social aspect, that community aspect. And OpenStack really epitomizes that really well. And uh, uh, attending the weekly meetings and talking to all of the wonderful people, learning so much by reviewing their code and having my code reviewed. And it's just, uh, I haven't really encountered toxicity uh, at least personally, uh, I cannot talk for other people, but for myself, I just found it such a such an exciting uh, place to work for, having access to all of these smart people from all over the world. When you um, when you got the internship and then and then got hired, um, was it fully set that you need to work on Keystone, or you had some flexibility in terms of? what you will try to try to do within the community and with the project so it wasn't said that i would work um on anything really upstream uh, we were trying to so one of our goals at the time was to make a federated openstack cloud work that was the the first um responsibility that i was given out of uh when I was hired full-time. And uh, initially we approached the Nova team, which is OpenStack's um, uh, virtualization, I guess, uh, virtual machines as a service team and uh, trying to like get those changes approved there. But uh, the federated aspect really was more about identity and access management. So eventually I started um, getting more interested and more involved in that, and especially the federation aspects, OpenID Connect and uh, SAML and um, just federation in general uh, was really the Keystone team. So I started asking more questions there, getting more involved there, submitting more changes, getting them approved, and just little by little, I started uh, becoming a part of that team. But that wasn't set in my job responsibilities. It's just something that was helping me be more effective at my primary responsibility, especially having access to these people. So if something didn't work, then I knew who to talk to because I've talked to these people before, I've helped them out, they've helped me out. So it just helped me be more effective. And eventually after perhaps many weekends being spent contributing on my own free time, I finally got, uh, I think, 20% of my time uh, just to work on OpenStack and uh, Keystone just for no um, um, 
for no reason in particular, just contributing in general. You mean 20% of your work time that went into yes. contributing what you felt would be a reasonable level of maintenance for the project. So just to care about the project. Yes. So um, just being involved with the team 20% of my time and the other 80% of my time doing my own like responsibilities um, on the on the mass open cloud. So the MOC and like Boston University. So uh, just 20%, but it felt such a huge uh, mountain to climb because before that it was spending evenings and weekends just out of passion and, and desire and excitement. <laughs> But then seeing how that actually translated into being more effective at, at my job and this being recognized by by my boss was really uh, rewarding and uh, that's kind of huge actually yeah right so can you talk a little bit about how um how going to events, um, I'm assuming you've been to some of those OpenStack events. What did that do for your ability to create personal relationships with those that you had spent so much time sending emails or, you know, on, on some version version of DM going back and forth with them? I, I, what was that like? It adds and reinforces the human aspects of it, so creates more trust. It's it's different when you see someone's name on an email and you're not really able to see um, like them. Perhaps it's just like you struggle to see that there's a person behind that name. So there's a fully realized person who has a job, has other responsibilities, has a family, has passions, has um, um, like hobbies, goals, desires, and those are not conveyable through uh, team meetings on IRC and mailing lists, and not even through virtual events, because it, it always feels forced to do like uh, small talk. But when you're there and in person during these events, and perhaps there's a snowstorm outside, <laughs> and you're all stuck in a, in, in a hotel lobby playing um, Exploding Kittens and drinking Guinness, uh, like that really creates a sense of trust and camaraderie with, with the rest of the team then that, uh, makes everyone more effective at communicating with each other and, uh, just makes us make it us, makes it also more enjoyable to, to contribute, uh, because they become your friends. They're like your second family that you meet every three to four months in a different place in the world. And it's, <laughs> it's weird because sometimes I, hadn't seen my my own friends who live in my own city that often but this uh, random group of people that i work with and that live all over the world i do get to see regularly every four months <laughs> <laughs> yep yep uh was the uh did your organization support you going to the trips or was that something that you also did on your own no, they did support me and they still support me going into um, conferences if I feel that there is a um, there's uh, something to be gained by me being there, which I know it's rare these days. <laughs> Do you have yeah. the same manager now that you had when they first started letting you travel or did you have to go through an education process with somebody new? Um, I do not, 
but um, this new person has been much more understanding than the first one. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's just been easier to get travel approval, uh, especially now that there's less events and uh, there's also less OpenStack events. So I've had to uh, start attending other events where uh, there might be something to 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 learn from or to present like uh kubecon or uh this year i was at Fosdem for the first time so just branching out has been uh, easier whereas before i used to just go to openstack events right um does it also i mean branching out do you feel that it's still helps even with your OpenStack uh, work as well? Or are you were you able to look into any like cross-community collaboration topics at these new events with meeting new people? So it depends on the event. And I found that there's usually a lot of OpenStack people in those events as well. <laughs> uh, especially from the Open Infra Foundation, usually they try to... Um, branch out as well. So I've had a lot of uh, open infra dinners <laughs> in, <laughs> I don't know, FOSTEM or KubeCon or things of the like. So it's not like it's not an OpenStack event, you know, all of the cloud computing platforms, <laughs> even if people are not vocal about using OpenStack and they're using, they're vocal about using Kubernetes deep down somewhere, they're probably using OpenStack. They just don't want to admit it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Go where the people are and find, yeah. find them where they are. That mm -hmm. that really all of us are, are doing that to some extent. That's very true. But when I went to KubeCon this year, it was also really interesting to talk to the, the um, Kubernetes upstream community, see their challenges, uh, especially talking to the steering committee, seeing what challenges they're having now with regards to contributor uh, experience and... Uh, just in general, the governance aspect of a very large open source project. You are involved in, in those kind of things yourself too, right? Yes. Um, on the OpenStack side, I am on the OpenStack technical committee. And up until the last week of September, I was the chair of the OpenStack technical committee. And um, you're also a, a core reviewer or maintainer whichever term we want to use, they are kind of synonyms to each other on the Keystone project as well. Yes, that's correct. I've been a maintainer or core reviewer since about 2017. I was the project team lead for Keystone for about a year in 2020. Um, I'm still involved with the, with the Keystone project, but much less so these days. Uh, these days, I'm mostly focusing on the governance aspect of OpenStack and on my non-OpenStack upstream job. <laughs> okay, so you you have a you have a whole governance journey. Um, and you said that you got you became a core reviewer in 2017, which is a bit over a year after you started to more actively contribute to the project. Um, becoming a core reviewer uh, was that something that you thought about from the beginning or or did it come along the way that you would be interested in taking on some more responsibilities within the team 
So not from the very beginning, perhaps, because uh, initially I was just excited to contribute and see my patches be merged on on software that is very widely used. But eventually, after a while, as I got more involved and started attending the, the team meetings, um, sorry, um, as I started attending the team meetings, uh, fixing more bugs, uh, it started becoming more uh, a question of I would be more effective if I also can review things, if I also can merge things, because I've been involved for a while and we're all aiming for the same goal here. So that's when it starts from a practical perspective, becoming a goal rather than just contributing in general. But it wasn't something that I wanted just for the sake of like writing it down on my resume or or whatever. It's just the team was uh, something I wanted to help with and seeing the load that was on the maintainers and being able to also take some of that load for myself and help them with reviewing patches was uh, a win-win, I guess. <laughs> and as you offered to do those kinds of activities, how much did you start to slant back into your nights and weekends as far as activity being done on OpenStack's uh, benefit versus your day job? Um, initially, a bit too much, perhaps, because <laughs> it was something new and exciting. And uh, I tend to... Um, focus my attention on new and exciting things. So it was uh, like eating my free time because it was really exciting to work on that and now finally be able to like merge things and uh, just, yeah. But um, eventually like you start finding ways to sneak out of that 20% because a lot of the things that you're working and also related to the other 80%. So there were some patches that would be greatly beneficial to merge into Keystone because they would add a feature that uh, that would be used in our cloud. So uh, there were weeks where that started being 100% for several weeks, and then it would be less of a like a hard line because the lines really got blurry. Uh, we or, um, one of our clouds that we offer is OpenStack based. The other is based with uh, OpenShift, so Kubernetes. But most of our users really are still on the OpenStack cloud. And um, yeah, all of those features that we managed to get merged would be more help for us along the way down the line in supporting and operating this cloud. But also um, a large aspect was just... Uh, maintaining the cloud itself. So forming those relationships with the Nova team, with the Cinder team, the other teams of the various uh, components that make up OpenStack started becoming more of a, more of a uh, like necessity for the job itself. So the lines really got blurry at some point. Was becoming a core reviewer something that you needed to kind of get approval for within your organization? Was that something that you kind of had to sell that you will be doing that responsibility? Or was it looked at as a as an opportunity that they were celebrating? Or you just kind of, you had the 20% versus 80% and you just, you saw 
what it meant to become a maintainer and you just set it as a goal to figure it out as you go? Uh, it was definitely figuring it out as I go. Uh, I It did get celebrated though when I announced that uh, I had gotten maintainership in Keystone. Uh, it's not an easy thing to do because it means that you have gotten the trust of uh, like the rest of the team, that they trust you, that now what you say with regards to patches and things is valid and uh, is correct. So it was definitely celebrated. Uh, I was also really happy to get it. So I was going to make it work. <laughs> it felt <laughs> validating to to be told that, okay, you've been working on this thing for, uh, for a year and a half now. Uh, we trust you. And it meant a lot to me. Was it, was it also intimidating at the same time, though? That you have all that power? Yeah, in the <laughs> beginning, yes. Because it's, I mean, imposter syndrome is always a thing. Uh, up until the day before, people trust you when you give, or rather, the feedback that you give is usually with regards to how this patch could be improved. But it's never about fully approving a patch. Whereas from this day forward, if you are the second person reviewing something, then you click merge. And that was intimidating at first. I hear you. I, I do have I do have the experience myself and I and I think my mentor at the time found me a patch that was like a, a sure thing. And I think if it it failed. <laughs> I failed the CI test on on some stupid thing at the end, and I'm like, oh my god, seriously, this is the first thing I pushed the button approve, and then it went into the CI system, and then it just spit it out, telling me that nope, not this one. I'm like, oh, it's, what did I do? It's not your fault. It's the fault of the CI. It's always the fault of the CI. <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> But yeah, I definitely remember too that one thing is the excitement and the trust and the validation and then and then like I actually not just get to decide something, I will have to decide something and take the responsibility that I let the thing in, even though there will be one or at least one other person who has to say that um that they like it too. Like at least in OpenStack, there is a culture that um at least two core reviewers have to say that this is good to go before you're able to approve. Um, and even then the patch goes through another set of automated tests. So it's it's hard to say that I, I personally forced anything into the code base because that is really hard, kind of impossible to do, like not even running the CI test, that's just not gonna happen. But it still feels like a huge load of responsibility that, yes, I was the person who said the final yes to it. I was curious. So with the role of, of, of core reviewer and such, can you talk about any technical disagreements that occurred as far as people wanting to do something or wanting to do things in a different way and arbitration was required or, you know, the fun stuff in community collaboration where the, 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 the ideal of compromise has to be given. Um, in Keystone specifically, perhaps not conflict. Uh, some things did not get merged uh, spec-wise. Uh, so we have a process for merging features, which, which is called uh, 
uh, writing down a specification and then people agree on the specification and then you start working on the code, but people first need to agree for the feature itself, all of the API surface, all of the major changes that are going to be done to it. And those are usually trickier to get approved, not because there's conflict, but because generally a strong opinion may be negative and then interest just dies down because people are more conflict averse or it's not really a strong requirement of their job. So they're not really willing to go through with the hassle of convincing an entire team of people that we should do it this way. And uh, it's generally easier to make small changes rather than, than make big changes because those require more eyes, there are more effort to, to, uh, to get approved. And people generally just focus on minutiae and small details and that just makes the entire process frictionful and it takes time and you have to to meet the deadlines but i don't remember specifically something that was really like conflictual uh, frictional perhaps but not conflictual so you were you were a core reviewer to to the project, and then and then you also became a project lead, or in OpenStack terms, a PTL, which means project team lead. At one point, was that something that you wanted to do? How did that happen? Um, that happened around the time that OpenStack was really losing a lot of its contributors. So at the point in time that I became PTL of Keystone. I was one of the last maintainers who still hadn't served my time as PTL. <laughs> the end of it, it was my time. And I wasn't really uh, wanting to do it, to be honest. I'm not good at project management things. <laughs> I'm more of a technical person, but also a person that enjoys like uh, meetings, building consensus, and just the social aspect of open source. I do not have the project management piece in the middle that connects the two. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> it was really hard to like uh, be on time with reviews and run the meeting every week and uh, just plan the agenda for conferences and present the new features in the conference and just so much project management work, cutting releases, doing backports. Uh, just yeah, the, the responsibilities far outweigh the the benefits of of being a project team lead. It's much better to be like second or third below, so you can delegate all of that to someone and actually work on the cool stuff, which is the people and and the code. When you when you talk about both being a maintainer as well as a as a project team lead, you kind of talk about these roles as being a servant, which I personally, as someone being involved in open source for a little while too, I really do appreciate. Um, did you ever experience like I don't know in your organization maybe or or anyone else looking at that that those roles as you gaining power? as opposed to responsibilities? Not in my organization, especially considering that uh, 
everything we do is open source and we're mostly integrating software. Um, so it was never about like gaining power because we have a product and we need to get customers. And uh, it was more just me being more effective by uh, by gaining more responsibility with regards to my job. It was never about influence. Uh, it was obviously my desire to have more influence for the fact that I wanted to make things better. And I could make things better by contributing more, by being there, talking to more people, being recognized that people trust me. These are my patches. Let's Let's get them in but never about power specifically. And when you and when you became the uh, the project team lead, um, how hard did it get to like balance the responsibilities, the daily job, still having a life outside of both the day job and open source? I don't think it it impacted my work life balance. Perhaps it impacted my motivation. Especially given that um, Keystone was losing most of its contributors at the time. So we went from having team dinners at conferences where there would be 10 to 15 of us to team dinners at conferences where there's three to four of us to, hey, it's it's COVID now, we're all on Zoom, uh, but we're also looking for other jobs. So you're probably going to be the only one. Uh, still maintaining Keystone a year from now. And and that's how I saw it. So it was very hard motivation-wise to be the last remaining and uh, like not really having a new generation of, of maintainers to, to follow after so that I could trust them and feel like it was in good hands and I could move on and, and work on new and exciting things because it's about time. <laughs> So I think that was the hardest thing, just mm -hmm. keeping with that motivation day by day, not seeing that uh, there would be someone to, to take the, the burden from me when I will have been PTL for like a year. And after one year of PTLing, I remember uh, OpenStack had just approved a, a new form of leadership for, for projects which was called DPL, so Distributed Project Leadership. And I just transitioned Keystone to, to Distributed Project Leadership because there were just two maintainers now, me and another person. And neither of us really wanted to do the role, but diluting the role into between two people and nobody really having that, not a lot got done during that period. <laughs> Uh, it was really good then a few years later to see um, Red Hat assigning about three people into Keystone. And I was able to like uh, work really closely with them. And uh, now all three of them have maintainership on Keystone. And I can feel like I can finally sort of move on and start focusing on things that I find more exciting and are helping with my motivation and not risking me burnout. So I started focusing right. more on technical committee things, governance things. That was really important to see that there was continuity in the project.
Do you have plans to move off of OpenStack and more into Kubernetes or other space, or are you comfortable where you are still? Uh, I'm not sure. I haven't really, uh, like I've started engaging with the Kubernetes community on a governance perspective, but from a technical side, I haven't really felt that sort of attraction, inclination, or welcoming environment, perhaps. <laughs> it doesn't help that I also need to learn Go. Uh, OpenStack is Python-based, and I've been doing Python solely for eight, nine years now. So uh, need to transition to a new language, learn a new language, learn a new community with all of the um, traditions and culture and changes that that new community brings. I'm not opposed to it. Like I'd like to be involved in more communities in general, but I find myself being less interested in the technical aspect of things and more interested in the governance, the big picture, um, yeah. how the sausage is made, I guess. <laughs> you're, you're, you're destined for management then is what I'm hearing. Yeah. I, I hear that everyone gets promoted <laughs> to, to that sort of, uh, that sort of role. Like you stop writing code and, seen that happen a bit with me as well <laughs> yeah I, i've been going through that journey too on on my end and um well phil is not writing code for a living <laughs> on a daily basis either um nope. not for a while on, yeah i i still feel sometimes somewhat conflicted about it like even if i don't necessarily write code at least i should go and install the, the software that the community is working on that that I'm trying to help and support and very rarely have the time or the physical hardware resources to actually install the thing. And sometimes that makes me feel so weird because I, I'm still an engineer at heart and, um, and just want to be involved there too do you feel that that it's kind of conflicting to you or 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 does it feel more like a natural evolution for you in terms of transitioning towards i'm actually interested in governance of all things and on one hand it coincided with my move from boston to washington dc so that might have played a bit of a part in that <laughs> just being here more involved well not involved but being more exposed to Due to um, politics and uh, and um, yeah, I don't know. It's just I started enjoying more of the social aspect and uh, started getting more interested in the governance aspect. I just found that to happen organically. Uh, also, I guess uh, writing code at some point does start to get boring a bit as well because it's always the same process of writing the architecture writing the code writing the tests getting consensus getting it merged it just changes what pattern you're using or how you're deploying it these days it's kubernetes yesterday it was vms the day before it was something else so it's there's a lot of patterns and repetitions that start being more obvious and all of the code that I've reviewed uh, start wanting to not review code after a while. I don't know. It's it's cyclical. I'm sure at some point I will start missing writing code and, and getting back to the technical side of things. I'm a hundred percent sure of that. <laughs> so the, 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 the job at Boston university, do you, uh, 
is there, is there a team involved there and are you becoming more of a, of a governance management type versus or, or operations type versus developer there? And is there a compare and contrast between any development that's happening in Boston University versus what you do in an open source community such as OpenStack? Um, there are various teams because, uh, so initially the MOC Alliance was called the Massachusetts Open Cloud because our scope was very focused in building this one cloud for the Massachusetts like uh, government and universities of the area. And it was very focused and it was a pretty large team and pretty large. It was um, four full-time people and an army of interns and students. That's why it feels large. <laughs> <laughs> but as the scope grew, uh, other teams started uh, getting tacked onto it. So one of the projects that we have is called the New England Research Cloud. And that's a collaboration more between Boston University and Harvard. So there's a team at Harvard and I'm part of the team at Boston University. There are other collaborations. Uh, there's other permutations of teams that I am part of and not. It's just uh, academic people start spinning up new acronyms and institutions as a way to get more funding <laughs> and to pull in different people without other people or more people. And it's just so complicated that um, I it just goes above me. I just call it uh, the MOC, uh, even though they want to call it the MOC Alliance. <laughs> uh, but my role is more of a, I guess, connecting link between um, the software that we're building ourselves that is open source or the extensions that we're doing to to various pieces of softwares um, or the integrations between these components. And I'm usually the person who tries to go and engage with the team to contribute it back just based on the fact that I have a lot of experience as part of an open source community, whereas the rest of the team was more focused inwards within our own cloud and our own, our own tools. So I found an opportunity there to be more of a advocate of sorts, but also just an advocate with uh, that goes back and gives you code rather than an advocate that tries to connect two teams together. I don't know if I made a good job of explaining it. I'm not sure either. It's uh, I'm making it up as I go. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I think that was a, that was a good explanation. Um, and it's, it's a, I think it's a relatively common task for anybody inside of an organization um, where you have open source engagement expertise for a lack of a better term, right? You know how the community works, you know the right things to say to get the community to accept what you're doing um, and so forth. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's definitely a role that is common in organizations um, and being that connective tissue uh, between different teams that are using different tools internally as well. That that just sounds like, you know, a strong technical leader. Okay. One man, uh, open source program office of sorts. <laughs> yes. Um. 
I still wonder, like you, you, you were you were a core reviewer in Keystone, for instance, and you were also a PTL, and you were talking about how at one point the the contributor base started to shrink. Do you think that there was anything that the team could have done in terms of nurturing new contributors? growing you know the next generation of leadership um do you think that that um there was anything there that you could have done differently or what you would suggest uh, a current project team who's who might be starting to face something like that that effect as well to try to maybe not you can't fully prevent it but at least have it more graceful in terms of how the contributor base shrinks or or how hard it is sometimes to find the next uh, set of maintainers and project leads? I would say start early because it takes quite a while to, to build trust. Uh, so you need to mentor someone or help them for quite a long period of time before you can trust them enough to, to give them maintainership. However, the problem is that um, a project like OpenStack is mostly a corporate project. So the people that are usually working on it uh, upstream are people who are assigned to work on it. Um, in the US, at least, the average um, time that a person stays in their job is, I don't know, three years, I think. And uh, if... Six years ago, it was easy to switch from one job to the other and still be involved in OpenStack. These days, it's significantly less easy to, to find more opportunities that are OpenStack related. Because I remember a lot of the people that I was working with in, in Keystone and in other OpenStack projects, they would be switching employers every couple of years, but they would still be part of the same team, the same community, attending the same events. You don't have that anymore. And unfortunately, being a project where you really have to be corporate sponsored, it's hard to just find people in the wild. And it's also uncertain whether those people in the wild are going to be sticking around for long enough that you can grant them maintainership and uh, move on. Uh, and for Keystone specifically, that was the case. Uh, it, there were no other people that were doing the consistent contributions to show promise for like in a month from now or a few months from now, this set of people can be the new maintainers until, as I said, Red Hat stepped in and just assigned a bunch of people to, to work on Keystone. And, for, I think, a period of a couple of months, three or four months, perhaps, I was the only maintainer of Keystone. So it was hard and weird to be plus two merging patches by myself, <laughs> um, submitted by other people. And I couldn't really submit patches myself and merge them myself. So that was a very weird situation to, to be in. Thankfully, we're out of that, but that was um, not a good time. Do you think that that part of the challenge is how 
you know, the um, the corporations and, and people who are assigned to work on open source projects that that you have to just transfer that message that that the maintainership is a servant role. And at the same time, why it is so important to do and invest in. Do you think that message is hard to get through? Um, it's hard to get. Um, it's also there isn't a clear messenger for it either because mm. um, like the foundation can only do so much for convincing corporations to assign people to the project and uh, it's usually those people need to go beyond that and actually be interested and uh, have desire and uh, be learning and growing from contributing so that they can uh, go beyond what they are assigned to work with. Because I think it's easy to, or rather, you don't really have your manager breathing down your neck, uh, counting how many reviews you've done or how many bugs you're fixes in a project that is not a part of their offering, but they're just doing out of a courtesy for um, perhaps a work relationship or perhaps uh, being uh, required due to some contractual obligation with a foundation or something of that sort. So it's a really hard message to convey because I think it's also the people specifically that need to see how welcoming a community is and how much they can learn from it while at the same time proving to their managers and to the corporation that these people are now becoming an asset for you outside of their contributions because they're being exposed to very smart people that uh, they're going to have access to them directly through IRC and mailing lists and conferences and they can just learn as much, if not more, as from the internal mentorship and uh technical leaders that they themselves have in that corporation. So it really needs to be tackled on both sides. And I don't think there's uh, there's a, a really good story around how to do that. Which is why we are doing this podcast to have more <laughs> of these stories out there because um, overall, it seems like that, that, I mean, you had a very rich journey and... I think before I hit record, you were saying that you only have eight years of open source experience, which sounded like you meant that it's like nothing, which is uh, absolutely not true. And at the same time, what you accomplished within those eight years, uh, that's that's a full career path for someone else who's working in a, in a corporate environment their whole life. And that's their 40 year journey. So um, just just kind of talking about this and showing how you gained all the experience that you have in eight years because you've participated in a large global open source community, I think that that kind of speaks for itself. So I hope the, the level of experience I gained doesn't... Uh isn't proportional to the amount of white hair I will have in a couple more years. <laughs> because it definitely feels like I had a full career journey of, of 40 years just by the sure diversity of, of things that you do as part of contributing to a community and maintaining an open source 
project. It's just the diversity of things and the diversity of challenges are not just things that you would be exposed to otherwise or that you would be exposed in a much slow and perhaps more sustainable <laughs> pace <laughs> rather than just being thrown into the into the responsibility and being uh, being told good luck uh, we'll be here we'll help you but it's it's a lot to take in and uh, you need to find someone else later to do the same and thing the baton we're, too. we're doing to you <laughs> otherwise you're just not going to feel like you'll be able to move on because you feel like you have like that guilt and responsibility because it's it's your baby you've been working on on that thing for a while and you cannot just let it be there i definitely yeah. had that feeling before yeah that's why they call it a community you know cuz that's what you're part of tell us something about yourself that has nothing to do with tech nothing to do with open source I really love playing soccer, especially as a goalkeeper. Not something that I've done a lot of since coming to the U.S., but I used to do significantly more back back home in Albania before moving here, and I'm trying to get back into. So, yeah, I'm really, really into being a goalkeeper, playing soccer. <laughs> Are you watching the uh, the games and the big tournaments like the World Championships and and those too? Yeah, the, the World Cup usually, uh, even though the timings are really, really hard because uh, if there's a match that is being played uh, like for for like the Premier League or the Champions League, yeah, and it's it's during work hours, so it's really hard to, <laughs> to get around <laughs> seeing those. Uh, like I watched the, the Women's World Cup this year and the timings were just... 4 a.m., 6 a.m., just really, really hard to watch. Uh, in in Europe, there would have been a significantly easier time doing that. Yeah, it is definitely not a not a sport that's in the center if you're if you're in the uh, United States. Yeah, not yet. We're getting not better, yet. but not yet. <laughs> it's growing, so we'll see where it goes. But it's still not a. Uh, like once it gets to the point where uh, if I leave a window open and someone scores a goal in a match that is being played uh, on the other side of, of the world and everyone's screaming outside, that's how I'll know that uh, like uh, it has finally made it to the US, but we're not there yet. And with that, that's all, folks. That was our episode for today. I really hope that you enjoyed the show. This season is full of very interesting topics like open source in academia, mentorship programs, how you design and develop infrastructure in a project together with thousands of people, and a really interesting one, money in open source. Stay tuned because the next episode is just around the corner. <laughs> you know, that, that was my first experience. Oh, I loved it. Uh, Y'all had, had me telling stories that I haven't even thought about. And Thank you so much for having me here. It was a pleasure. Like, I will have coffee with the two of you any day for the rest of my life. Like. <laughs> <laughs>